All right, guys. Um, I hope you are doing good. Um, like I said, I'll be at the Saints game with Kate tomorrow. We're going to watch the Bengals and um, the Saints. Um, but let's get started here. This week will be part one of John chapter five. Um, let's open in prayer real quick. Dear Lord, I just thank you for this time together. I ask you to be with us. And as we do this, which is kind of new for us, a recording and maybe some type of feedback. But I just ask you that this would still be a video that people would look. And at the time that um, I'm vested in, so looking at your text and the way I present it, um, will be pieces that will stick in the minds of people that listen to it. And then it'd be beneficial and helpful. And then it bring glory to you and bring us to a deeper understanding of the book of John. And it find a place in our heart where it's useful and um, it brings glory to you, but it also um, causes us to love you and, and have a greater relationship with you. And as we interact and tell people about you, we will also find tools to do that too. So Lord, we're just going to unpack your word and we just ask you to, um, to make sure we hear it the right way, that we see it the right way and that it, it penetrates our heart in the right way. And we ask all this in Jesus name. Amen. All right, guys. Um, so I think I'm sharing my screen to you. I hope all this comes out. I'm going to go at it one time and hopefully it comes out good. I did do one recording that um, it was on the cloud with my iPad. That's all I had. And it didn't come out so well. So this will be a take two of it. But I have done a little bit more study. So this was <laughs> it's going to be a little bit, a little bit different. But um, but but I think maybe it'll be a little more organized. Um, so let me see if I can get this thing working right here. I'm on my screen. So we're in, in John chapter five. And the, and the first thing I kind of want to do is set the scene. I want to remind us of kind of where we've been. Um, just scrolling down a little bit into back to John two. I just want to touch. I'm in the middle of John two. Um, I know this is a little bit different doing it on these, these digital devices, but if we look there, um, I think you can see my mouse, but and you might can zoom in on the screen. I hope this works out good for you guys. But um, on 2.13, it says the Passover of the Jews was at hand and the and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. And so in just a second, I'm going to show you why I'm highlighting that text, because the festivals kind of help us give an idea. And it's kind of worth just trying to do all that we can to understand the scripture right. We want to kind of see what festivals we're talking about to the best we can discern and um, kind of know the season. And I'll show you that just in a minute. But but so here, when he's overturning the temples, and prior to that, he was in Cana and Capernaum, which was in Galilee. I showed you a map at, at, at one time about that, that, that there's this region of, um, of, um, of Galilee, and then the region of Samaria, and then below that, the region of Judea. And that they're traveling through these areas, and sometimes the scripture tells us that so we can get a geographical location of what they are. But what we know, and like I said, I'm going to show you visually in a second, is that there was essentially about three pilgrimages um, that the, the Jews would take, um, you know, back and forth. Um, it was Passover, the Day of Atonement, and then there was a summer festival, the um, Feast of Weeks, I believe is what I'm going to show you. It was a shorter festival. But but when we hear this deal that's, that Jesus, which he resided most of his life up in Galilee, but he would travel to Jerusalem, those travel of those people from Galilee to, to Jerusalem would happen for usually the pilgrimage requirements and the festival to go down to the temple. And then there was the issue of Samaria, Samaria, whether you go through Samaria or you dodge it, dodge it. And we've talked about those things before, but just looking, running through here, um, as we get into John three and he's talking with Nicodemus and the things with um, John the Baptist baptizing and, and those kind of things. 
are all kind of happening um, right there in in the um, in in Jerusalem area. And then it says that they come back to the Judean wilderness, and there's some baptizing going there, which kind of be the I believe the lower Jordan. But um, we go through Samaria. In this case, Jesus went straight up through Samaria. He wasn't trying to dodge it. And he talked with um, a Samaritan woman, which turned in talking to Samaritans and staying with them for two days, which is verse three. After two days, she departed to Galilee. Um, and then it looks like he hit Nazareth for a little bit. This version of John's is a little bit clearer there. But I think last week I gave you the text of Nazareth um, where they got upset with him and, and those kind of things. Um, but here we last week. So, so what we have is we have seven um, signs that Jesus that John points out. The first one is water and the wine. The second one was Jesus healing an official son, which we talked about last week. And then this week is going to be him healing um, a, a, a man laying for 38 years um, in the close to the temple area. So he's come back to Jerusalem and in this temple area, um, he heals this man. Um, so this will be the third. The um, we'll move in after five and we'll move into chapter six. We'll see the feeding of the 5,000 and the walking on water, which would be four and five. And then, of course, we've already talked about in John nine, the man that was born blind. And um, and then we um, will have Lazarus raised from the dead in John 11. So those are the seven signs um, that that John's gospel highlights. But then we also see other signs that are done that are just not described um as vividly of course through the through the through the, uh, through the gospels we see tons of healings and signs and stuff of that nature so anyway let's get to the text here um i just wanted to highlight 43 and 46 where we've kind of come and let's just pick up here at 5 1 so the first thing um in 5 1 john 5 1 we say see after there was a feast of the jews and jesus went to jerusalem all right, so here we've, um, see if we said that. So in, in 2.13, he was in Jerusalem. He talked with Nicodemus. And then as things progress, he's coming out of Jerusalem, going back to Galilee. He talks to the Samaritan woman and the people there. And he's up in Galilee and he heals the son. And so now um, the, the schedule or the timeline has come around and he's um, come back to, G, G, to um, Jerusalem. And in this case, it says after this, was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went to Jerusalem. Well, what this doesn't say is essentially what feast that was, and I don't know that I can fully discern which one it is. Maybe someone else has done that in commentary that I haven't seen, but but at this point, it's just general feast. So here's what I want to show you um, here. I see in this set of notes to the right here. Um, what I want you to see is that this is the list, or let me do it a, a different way. Um, let me go to this here. Okay, and I'm gonna hit hit this here. All right, all right. So here is essential. There's a there's two that I didn't put in. I think Hanukkah, which is Feast of Lights, and 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 a, a dedication. Um, 
um, I think I think I'm getting that right. But there was two other festivals. But actually, through the book of Le Leviticus, just taking it through the book of Leviticus, and then there's some cross references that um the numbers um in in Numbers 28 and 29, it gives the same thing. But these are the seven things that we're focusing on. We have every week the Sabbath, and there's the honoring of the Sabbath, and then um and the second thing is the Passover. The Passover is a day that is inter inter um interconnected with um the seven days of 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 unleavened unleavened bread so i'm i'm not 100 sure if that's seven or eight days um but um the passover is the week there and then let me look at my notes and make sure i'll i'll tell you that right um give me one second here um to it's not what i'm looking for one second um all right so unpacking this here let me get back to the right note all right that's not working for me let's see all right so all right here we go all right there there all right so um what i want to show you here is so what we essentially have with the festivals to kind of pack it in our mind is um what you have is you have um a winter um planting of the seed which is essentially barley and that barley harvest will um will harvest right about the time of passover uh, which would be a spring harvest then you will you you will plant a um, spring garden um and that will be wheat and that will harvest right around summertime and then you'll plant a summer harvest and then right around that it'll um and right around fall you'll you'll have that um and then that'll be the end of the agricultural season for you know to, to next winter um so you have like three months or so off and so these festivals are essentially based around that so why passover um is is of course there's the the idea of the blood and the lamb and sacrifice and the passing over the death angel passes over those um, that that are in the blood and then you have the unleavened bread and the just idea and the way I understand and I'm sure we come up with other technical deals is but when I sit back and I say what is what does this mean for us today the unleavened be bread I believe speaks to us that God can do can provide for us and specifically our nourishment um, without any fluff, without any additives, without our help, without any part of it. And that's so much what the Exodus wilderness experience was. They go out of a fortified city. They're out in the wilderness. There's enemies of, of wildlife, nature, of, of enemies. They have no fortitude city. Um, they're in tents. Um, they're in the desert, but there's a cloud by day. There's a um, pillar of fire by night. So the, 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 it could have got cold at night. It got hot. And so God is showing himself to provide in that. They're not taking no water with them. They're not taking no food with them. He's providing the manna. He's providing the, um, the, the quail. He's provided water from a, water, uh, a rock. He's taking bitter water and making it making it non-bitter and then when the enemies do come after him he, he drowns them in a sea he he parts it over they walk through um and all this kind of stuff so the idea of of all these festivals are to kind of 
um, strategically as they're doing their life through these different um, planning and uh, are sowing and reaping um, stages of their life to constantly be integrating all of that in with Christ to, to know or with God that he is the provision that he, that, that they need him desperately. And so here um, at the Passover, of course, we go to the Egypt text where they put it blood over the door post and, um, and, and, and essentially the death angel passed over. So in our day, this idea of that in Christ and covered by the blood of Christ, the wrath of God passes over us and doesn't take our life. Um, and so then we move into this unleavened bread. Now, I've done this before. We, we talk about ideas of fasting and stuff, but go eat bread. I mean, I know that they were doing unleavened and that was make a difference for them. But but we have so much food nowadays. You just start eating bread for seven days and drinking water for seven days. And it's going to teach you something. It's going to teach you something about how blessed you are. Um, and so all of the Egypt experience was, was doing something like that for, for them. Um, but anyway, I, I know I'm taking too long of this, but the next thing is the, the feast of the first fruits, which was a wheat harvest, um, happened fairly closely to the Passover. And so the idea when you start studying this and looking at this is that this very well, this feast of the first fruits would parallel in some symbolic way to the resurrection of, of Christ, that he had died. And when he came back to life, that that was the first fruit of his death. Um, let's see if I wrote it down here. It's um, in John. I wrote it somewhere first fruit. in John 1224 um basically in jesus's ministry it's, uh, some some things had essentially happened but basically what happened was um and and let me go ahead and switch to that uh well and in john 1224 what it says is it says truly truly i say to you unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies it remains alone but if it dies it bears much fruit and so this sounds like a simple statement and in one sense it's kind of cool because you know that jesus died and he bared some fruit and but jesus is saying that 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 essentially he is going to be buried but he's going to be buried like a like a grain of wheat into the earth and die and 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 it, if it dies it's going to bear much fruit so by his death he's bearing much fruit well what's very interesting is this third line here the feast of the first fruits described there in leviticus 23 9 through 14 is that it is it was traditionally a the time for planting a, a, a wheat a wheat harvest and um and and that would have that would have been produced in the in the summer and so this idea as we look at the death and burial and, and resurrection and ascension of jesus we have this idea of of him dying and then three days later rising and 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 he's rising both body and spirit where we're born again our spirit has changed but our body um is 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 still here it's still a wretched body we still have it but it says that that if we believe the second death has no power over him but the scripture says that that jesus is a first fruit and so all of this comes together in these these festivals 
right here, the, the Feast of the First Fruits. Um, and then the next one is the Feast of Weeks, which generally when you start reaching that, it comes down to 50 days out. So we know that when Jesus died and he rose again, he was with them for 40 days and then he ascended. And 10 days later in Acts 2, the um, Holy Spirit came and, 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 um, and, and gave new life to, to those who believe and trust in him in that way. And so what we're kind of looking at, and you see how God authored things and why he made these festivals important for so long and how it framed things up is that in a sense, the first fruit was happening at the same time as the barley harvest and the feast of weeks, um, which would have been Acts um, Pentecost would have been happening the same time as the, um, as the wheat harvest. And, and when he's saying, I'm a grain of wheat and I must go in the ground. And he said those ideas, like he said, um, it's good for you that I go away, then the comforter would come. So all of these things are sort of navigating out, you know, in, in this way. Um, so I probably took more time than I had for this. Let's see, 17. Um, I'm going to hurry. Um, but the, fee the, uh, the Feast of the Weeks, we went through four. And then the Feast of the Trumpets is unique in this sense that um, it's, it's on the seventh, on their seventh month, the first day. So six months have passed out of the 12 months. And then now we have six months ahead. And we're right in the middle. They do a Labor Day. Um, the Feast of the Trumpets, some people speculate that it would be on the Feast of the Trumpets when Christ will return because they, you know, part of their, their things that they do there is they blow the horn and there's like four different ways they blow the horn and they have a whole, whole thing with it. But they believe that that's going to command the king one day and he's going to step out on the cloud, you know, probably on one of those days. That was the first of this month. Um, let's see what, what that one was um, for this particular year. Like I don't, I don't have that date in front of me, um, but it was like right, right at the beginning of October, um, maybe like a little bit in this, into um, September at the end of September. But, um, but anyway, but what's happening and, and if I'm recording this on Saturday, but tomorrow on Sunday, it will end this feast of booths, um, which is the last one um, um, time frame that's going on right now. And so what I wanted to say, and I'm sorry I'm taking so much time on this, is that the, um, the Feast of the Trumpet was a time where people started to prepare their heart and begin to reflect uh, and, and, and really enter into a season of, of repentance. It would have been a sort of a time of, 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 of um, fasting and, and, and regulation of renewal and these kind of things. And so the Day of Atonement, everything would have led up to the Day of Atonement and um, and, and, and that would have been a cleansing process. Well, the Feast of Booths, um, which I thought I had took these notes better than this, but the Feast of Booths, um, that would have been a sort of a Thanksgiving, a celebration. It was meant to be a celebration, but it was contrast also with them spending seven days in tents and remembering the, the, the wilderness experience. Um, so there was, there was a sort of weakness with it, but there was also a um a a um a a a rejoicing of that god is cleanses so in all of that as we look at those three festivals we're looking at that season that second half of the year that seventh month we're looking at 
we're looking at this um, this celebration and calling on Christ and repentance, and then the Day of Atonement, which ultimately we see so many ways that Christ fulfilled the the taking of our sin on Himself and atoning for our sins and cleansing us. And so then we would roll into the Feast of Booths that we would um, we would surrender all that we have for Him, take a tent, and but we would be cleansed and we'd be a new creation, and all of that happened. So anyway. Um, let me get back. Let's see where we were at here. Um, let me get out of this. Um, and then I can control this. Okay. And this is what I want to get back to here. Um, I want you to see that if I can scroll here is Passover. We, we talked about these particular fe festivals, but Passover was the they, there would be three pilgrimages they would have in the year, and Passover would be the um, the pilgrimage in the springtime, and then they would have um, in in um, this feast of weeks, which was Shavuot or Shavat, which was this year in in June four to six, so right in the middle of the summer. That was the summer pilgrimage, and then we would have. Um, the um you, you had the in that seventh month we'd have the feast of trumpets the day of atonement and the feast of booths which would be sukkot um and that um would be the pilgrimage in the fall so we would have we'd have that easter thing that we we you know that we do or passover for them um and then that would be the spring the summer and and the fall and i, I apologize that it took so long doing all that but i wanted us to see sort of the meaning and the concept of of these so that we can as we're looking at the text through the rest of the book of john and we're navigating through this that um that we can see these festivals and how to tie through so what i'm going to do right now is i'm going to hit i'm going to go ahead and stop this video uh and 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 restart it just in case this was not um some of your your cup of tea about all these festivals and and you can um skip for it to to just the, um, the, um, the biblical text that we're looking at in John 5. All right, guys. So um, this video, I, I did a lot of work here on the seven festivals and some different things and some dates there to try to give us some context. I think the last old court, I went too long on that, but we're going to jump in um, at 5-1. I'll put it all together, but you can you can skip to the, the text recording if, if, if you don't have time for whatever um, length that other recording winds up being. But um, looking at 5-1, after this, there was a feast of the Jews, in, um, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. And what I did on the previous video was just to try to talk to some degree, um, give some some insight and some some framework to all the festivals and how that helps us chart and rightly divide the book of John and know kind of where Jesus is and what his 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 scene is and 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 why he's doing some of the things he's doing. It just has a little bit of impact on better understanding the text. And so, like I said, I spent a little time with that I I don't know. I asked my wife. I said, "Why is it that we as Christians do not know more about the festivals, what they are, what their name, when they're when they're going on? Why do we as Christians in America neglect that altogether?" And um, 
we had a little discussion back and forth about that. But I've just decided that I want to know more about them and understand how they relate to what I believe. And so um, I put some of that together. We'll probably visit that um, in future episodes a little bit when it's relevant. But here in verse two, about two of John, it says, now there is in Jerusalem by the Sheep Gate a pool in Aramaic called Bethsaida. I may or may not be saying that right, but which has five root colonnades. I'm going to stop there, and I think I have keyed up. Um, I believe I'm sharing the screen with you, and I think I have it keyed up. This is a picture of um, that there, this um, where where we're about to talk about this story. Um, so what this is, is you see, if, if you can see my mouse, you see the temple up here in the middle. What this is, I actually got to see this when I went to Israel, but what this is here is a, um, a, a, a duplicate that they made of what it would have looked like in Jesus's time. As you can see all the people in the background, you can walk around this whole thing and this whole, like, um, you know, whatever model is down in the ground and you can walk around it and look all through what it would have been. This was one of the funnest things I've seen because a lot of the temple is just being um, resurrected and uh, this is being dug out from being buried and that kind of thing. So I thought this was fun. But what I just want you to notice as you as you uh, orient yourself to this picture is right here is um, going into the temple. And that would have been faced to the east. And there would have been a wall out to the out this way would have been the eastern gate going into the city. Um, but. Um, I think there may be another picture that shows the temple a little bit more, but I just wanted you to see what this is, is Antonio Fortress. So the soldiers would get up on the top and they could look down and see what's going on the Temple Mountain. And if you see this part over here on the very left here was um, King Herod um, because he wasn't a pure Jew. They wouldn't let him come in. So he had a place where he could look over. So these people in power are raising these, these heights up so they can see um, what they're doing on the Temple Mount, all those Jews. But what this is, so they're calling this the northern, north and the southern, so you can logically figure if this is the east, then this would be the north area of the city. Um, let me see if I put another map there. I think I wanted to look at one more map that I didn't get keyed up for us. Um, let me see that what I'm looking at. Let's see. I want to get to to this map here. Okay. And so this is a better picture of kind of where we're looking at these pools here. And then when it talks about these sort of shelters that all these people could lay in, um, then, then that's where they're at. I think, let me see something else real quick. I don't know that this is one of those pictures. Those are all our case, but anyway, so you can look this up and you can find a few more, um, diagrams um of this but i wanted to get us a feel for that so let's get back to our text here um move this up here okay and so now they're in jerusalem by the sheep gate um a pool in a aramaic called besada and, and i did look up the sheep gate a little bit about the most relevant thing i've seen was the sheep gate is where you had to bring your sheep and they were they were charging taxes for bringing your sheep and um you know, sounds like another way to make money. But anyway, um, so it's five roof colonnades. So in verse three, in, all right, let me make sure I did, did that, that. All right, so in verse three, uh, and I'm reading from the ESV, and that'll be relevant in a minute. 
um, in in these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. And as you can see in my text, if you can look at that, let me go ahead and make it bigger, see if that'll help you guys out. Um, but if this is making it bigger for you, I to reorient myself to where I'm at. Um, went okay, um, but but here, yeah, that's not helping me. Thought it would make it easier for whatever screen you're looking at if you're looking at a, a, a phone or something. But but um, but anyway, um, so what we have here is we have um, here is verse three in these lay to the invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed, and then it goes into verse five. Um, um, one man was there who had been invalid for 38 years. So this is one of the, the things I wanted to point out is that under the ESV and the translation, and maybe another day I'll talk about a little bit about why that is. I have done some research on that before, but it leaves, um, it feels like this isn't a, a valid text. And so let's just, um, look at what the text says, um, so that, we can, um, I see, here's what it says here. And then we can make some judgment of if we would have left it in or not. Um, and I'm not sure. I think the King James leaves it in. Um, but whatever the case, some of them don't, some, some of them leave it out. Some don't, but we will make sure we catch that there wasn't a verse for there. Um, and you know what kind of Bible you have, but it says, um, some manuscripts are holy or apart, but it, this is what we would be missing is um, waiting for the moving of the water for an angel of the Lord went down at certain seasons in the pool and stirred up the water. Whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was healed of whatever disease he had. So um, this is a, a, an idea we just looked at visually. Let's see. Let's try to get back to that. So we just looked at this pool and there's all these lame people um, uh, hanging out around this and they're waiting for this, the, at least the, the, uh, the, uh, the superstition or whatever, or if it's real or whatever, is that this water would get stirred and the first person that gets to it is going to be healed. All right. So, um, so here we are with that text and so we're kind of like well why did they leave that out but 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 let's roll with that um i will let me go ahead and skip ahead we, we do want to deal with five and six but i want you to just highlight why we're saying that when you get to seven so let's say the text is not appropriate and it's not supposed to be in there for whatever reason but here when we look at seven it says the sick man answered him sir i have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up and while i am going another steps down before me so for in this guy's man mine he's saying the water gets stirred and then the first one gets there um is going to get it so you still see that in the context so when we look at what the text actually said it says waiting all these people were waiting for the moving of the water for an angel of the lord went down at certain seasons into the pool and stirred water whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was healed of whatever disease had so we're trying to sort through why are all these people sitting at this at this well so either the angel was actually doing it 
or a superstition or someone hurt or someone getting healed there, but their hope is in this pool. Their hope is in this, this pool right here and hanging out. And if these waters don't move and I don't get in it, I'm never going to be healed. And so, um, so um, let's look at, 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 at five and six. And it's, uh, it says um, one man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. And verse six says, when Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had been there for a long time, he said to him, do you want to be healed? And so these next two statements of Jesus, I want us to soak this in for a minute um, based on that scene that we just, we just set that, that for some reason, these people are in this, um, this, these pools right here, and they're staying out of the sun or whatever they're doing under these, these shades the best they can. And they are waiting and hoping their hope of restoration is in this water being stored, stirred. And when Jesus comes, he doesn't say, well, I'll help you when it stirs or anything of that nature. He just says, do you want to be healed? Okay. Now keep in mind, we've just seen a healing where Jesus healed someone um, from from not even being where he was at. Just spoke it, and 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 we talked about the authority that he has. So one of the things that we always want to think about in the New Testament is that things that happen in the Old Testament, things that were established in the Old Testament, that in so many ways they are shadows and types, and they are promises. And they're a hint to something that God is going to fulfill um, all the mu much more um, in the day of the Messiah. And so this is one of the signs that's proven Christ to be the Messiah is that is 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 in this idea of 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 going from the lesser to the to the greater. And um, and so he says, do you want to be healed? And so the guy's thinking, you know, he gives this excuse. He says, the sick man answered him, sir, I have no one to put me in the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I'm going another steps down before me. So his hope is in this lesser means of healing. And what Christ is doing in this sign that John is using this some um, third sign that he's going to use of the seven that he uses he is communicating that that God, that Christ, can do a greater healing, you know. And so you gotta you gotta think, you know, you know. So so I won't go down that road. But do you want to be healed? And so the sick man gives this excuse, and then um, in verse eight he picks it up, and he says, Jesus said to him, "Get up, take up your bed, and walk." And at once the man was healed and he took up his bed and walked. So here we're seeing these healings of Jesus, these immediate healings of back to back and this authoritative healing. And so this is one of those signs that says the Messiah has come because things that were only hinted about in the past, things that were only hoped for in the past are becoming a reality in the authority that Christ is exert, ex, ex, exerting. Um, and so th th there we go. So that's, that's, that's um, verses five, you know, one through 
through through eight, um, we've got the scene setting and we got the reality. Do you want to be healed? Get up and take your mat. So, so Jesus is 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 creating a new way. We had you know this pool here where these people were laying around, and a handful of them were getting getting healed. And you can just imagine this water stirs, and everybody starts panicking, and they start going, and they're trying to you know race erase in their neighbor. But wouldn't you want to see God do something? greater than that don't just heal a person but heal all people heal them in a more an extraordinary um in a more extraordinary way um and so so here he's he's doing that so let's pick up um it's it's it, i guess it's still in verse nine but in the paragraph since right before 10 it says now that day was the sabbath um so this is where our story it's gonna gonna change. So we had set the scene, and we see this pool, and we thought about the timeline of this is a festival that Jesus has made a pilgrimage, and he's coming down, and he he sees this this man here putting his hope in this water of stirring, and he gives him an alternative method, but this alternative method that he gives him happens to be on a Sabbath, and then this is where our story goes to is the part two of it it says so the jews said to the man who had been healed it is the sabbath you know and and and, and i want to i want to i don't want to go down a tangent but i want to look at some of the text out of leviticus that describes all these these festivals and there's like seven festivals but one of the things that describes the sabbath and, you know, what we have to deal with, and this is just the introduction of this, we'll pick this back up next week, but what we have to deal with is these, uh, the reason I added 16 and 18 um, verses to this particular text is because in 16 and 18, it talks about two accusations, which winds up being the key accusations that the Jews have against Christ. Um, and they think he's actually broken these things. So since we know that Christ didn't sin, then we have to reconcile those things. We have to ask ourselves, why did the Jews think he broke it? And then, and, and see that sort of validly in a physical, literal way of thinking, but then also see that, that Christ was doing a greater work. He was going from a lesser to a greater, and he was, he was doing something, making the Sabbath or making himself out to be God, which is the other thing. Um, it's the truth. It's reality. It's the, it's the fulfillment. It's the bringing of the better to the people. And, um, and so now that day was the Sabbath. So the Jews said in verse 10, so the Jews said that, that to the man that was healed, it is the Sabbath and it is not lawful for you to take up your bed. Now I'm going to just insert a few points here to think through. Um, this is going to break off the text a bit, but, um, you know, Israel wasn't that big of people. Um, I guess it is a festival. So maybe a lot of people are coming through and maybe some people they didn't know, but, but if these Jews were, you know, if, if these priests were, were shepherds or pastors and they were doing what they should have been doing and going and praying for the sick and, and things of that nature and caring for the sick, um, seems like they should have known um, who was at that, that pool there waiting and trusting their help, especially a guy that's been there, you know, for 38 years or a long time or whatever have you. Um, and so one of the things that just catches me a little bit 
is that that they didn't recognize that w- the man carrying his mat was a walking miracle. I would hope that if 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 you you and I are connected to a local church and there's a small church and there is someone that is struggling with some kind of what did it say the blind the lame and paralyzed. Um, if if there's a blind or lame or paralyzed person that is struggling with a with a with a, with a, a, a disability there, that if that that healing happens, that that when we see them we recognize something. We recognize that it was them or we recognize that something has happened to them. I was talking to a lady the other day and, and I'm, you know, I'll be 48 at the end of the month, but moving towards 50 years old. One of the things that I just enjoy to see in our day that gives me joy is to see people that are happy. That, that, that it, it don't matter why they're happy. I just like seeing people happy. I mean, I've been through enough suffering. I want to go through less of it if, if I can, but I enjoy when people are content and they are happy. And you got to think if a man was, was lame or paralyzed and couldn't get himself to the water for 38 years, and then he gets healed from that, you got to think maybe there was some pep in his step, but for a couple different reasons, I just, I can't take the excuse that I, I don't think they were good shepherds by not recognizing something different about that guy. They maybe should have asked some questions. They could have asked, why are you carrying them at? And probably the first thing he would have said is because I just got healed. Um, and I, I guess they they do ask that question. So let's see how they handle it. But but that's something that gives me a bit of pause. So um, he says, he says um, so the Jews said to the man who was healed, it is the Sabbath and it's not lawful for you to take up your mat. So, I'm not down with that. They should have asked a better better question there. But let's see if they do it. And he said, but he answered them, the man who healed me, that man said to me, take up your bed and walk. That's what he did, right? So he goes to verse 12. He says, they asked him, who is this man who said to you, take up your bed and walk? And in 13, it says, now the man who had been healed did not know who it was for Jesus had withdrawn as there was a crowd in the place. So Jesus is healing. He don't want to draw a bunch of attention to himself. He did this guy a favor. He showed his, his power. Um, but, but, but you see what I'm saying? Like when you just flow through this, um, you know, if someone has been healed, that ought to catch someone's attention. So anyway, this happens, we should glory God when someone gets healed, period. You know, and so this starts the whole ball going down the wrong way. It starts it in arrogance and I know better. And who does this guy think he is as far as with the religious leaders? Um, So 14 says, afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, see, you are well. Sin no more that nothing worse may happen to you. Now we hear this where like when we in John nine, we hear the disciples say whose sin caused this man to be blind from birth. And people will say, well, if he was, you know, before he was born, how could he have sinned? You ask that question. Uh, But Jesus says it wasn't his sin. So at that point, he says that you see with Job and they just assume he had the sin. So people have got this idea that if you have some curse or affirmity, that it is because of your sin. Um, And Jesus 
says, hey, see you're well, sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. So Jesus is not disregarding the fact that sin can cause these infirmities, but 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 he's also said, like in John 9, that that's not always the case. When you take some of those, um, when you take, when you take, I think we're good. Um, but when you take like people like like Sarah that was barren and they thought it was because of her sin, or you take um, like uh, John the Baptist's um, uh, mom, Elizabeth, um, Hannah and Samuel. So there were times where God allowed the wombs to be barren because he wanted to do something extraordinary in the birth. But in this case, Jesus says, you are well, sin no more that nothing worse may happen to you. What I think is interesting here is this text 15, as he said, and this will be kind of the last little bit before we finish up with 16 to 18. And it says, the man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. The only thing I'm going to say about this is I, I think that's odd. I, I mean, if there's a misstep, why would you go tell the Jews, um, you know, the guy that just showed you more mercy than you, you know, deserve, um, because, you know, the way we see it, it caused him trouble. But I think, you know, as we talked about in John 9 and we talked about in John the Baptist, sometimes we, in real time of God working in our life, we don't process the consequences um, um, all the time of, 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 what, of what is actually happening. And so... Um, Okay, I can't get that. But um, but we don't process all the time those things that you know that are happening. And so hopefully this guy later on said that probably wouldn't have I should have protected Jesus. I shouldn't have said things like like that. But I, but I, but but it just happened and he said it. And so what we see um in 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 verse 16. It says, and this was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, my father is working until now and I, and I am working. Um, this was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. So these are two um, issues that the Jews begin to focus in on of how they want to, um, to, to, to go after Jesus. Um, I want to come back. Let me see if I can find it here. Um, I want to finish up with this. Um, I was going through Leviticus the other day and, um, I think I've mentioned this journey with you just listening to it. One of the things that, that was interesting to me is it said unclean, unclean, unclean. You do this, you're unclean, do this, you're unclean, do this, unclean. And one of the things that stuck out with me with that overview is that it, 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 I feel like often we, um, we don't think, you know, in our society, we don't think we're unclean. And one of the things that I picked up from that was that, that as you read from Exodus, I mean, Leviticus, you see this standard and you start to get a, a reality. You're not as 
holy and clean as you think you are. And you start to, in the measure of God's law, you start to realize I do have some things that are not holy about me and that I need to, to, to enter into holy holiness. Uh, but this other key word that I thought was interesting in, and I looked up through the, th through the Greek and kind of checked out a few things with it was um, this term, um, the first verse I see it in is Leviticus 23, 7. So let me go to that. Leviticus 23, 7. And um, in 23, 7, let me scroll down so I can see it. Oh, pictures there. But if you look here in 23, 7, um, basically it's it, it's it's talked about as walking through all these festivals in, in Leviticus 23. There's the Sabbath. And then there's the Passover. And when you get into 23, um, 7 and 8, it says, On the first day you shall have a holy convocation. You shall do no, you, you shall not do any ordinary work, but you shall present a food offering to the Lord for seven days. On the seventh day is a holy convocation. You shall not do any ordinary work. Now, to show you, let me see if I can show you this real quick. Um, I'll go back to here and um, let me get to the right note here. Um, so, it's not what I'm looking for. So, when I, when I look here, and this is where I, I put the no ordinary work, and what I did was I looked at this a couple different ways. One way was I looked at it to see what do other versions say that just in English translations. And so no ordinary work was in the ESV and the NLT and customary work was the term used in New King James version. Regular work was used in the NIV version. Laborous work was used in the NASB and the RSV and daily work was used in the CSB and the, um, in the Holman, it was the Holman Bible. Um, and then to show you this one other little thing that I look at, this is, um, I just call it the low needy because it's, it's a resource that I have. But what it does is every time the word work is in there and you look at it at the Greek level, it'll give you a low needy type of deal. And what this does is the word to perform or do has five different variations here. It says function, do perform, make, create, work, toll, Graphic trade. And then what it does is how, like in this due performance, it says 42.7 and 42.8. As you scroll down to these, let's just hit this one working, working tool. Oh, I mean, exactly how I wanted it to come out, but um, let, me, let me close that. Let's see. But, but let's see. That, that ain't exactly what I want it to do, but, um, let me see if I can find another way to do it. 42. Let's see, here's, here's one of them. Um, so right here, this work and tool, um, basically what it does is it goes through and it, it walks through like to better explain these things, like involving consider considerable expenditure of effort. And then here's some other ones. 
to engage in hard work and find difficulties and trouble, hard work, toll, walk. But anyway, you get the idea. I, I don't want to waste all our time on technical stuff. I just want you to see um, that in, in a sense. But but what it what this ordinary work or whatever custom that um that they say here um is I just thought that as I was listening, I, I said that is a unique word, and I just want to finish with this. I know I've taken too much too much time here. I just want to finish this. Whatever it is, Greek and all these di digesting and and whatever is was what Jesus was doing with this man ordinary work, and so the religious police was saying, "Why are you carrying your mat?" And what we're talking about is a man for 38 years was not able to carry his mat. Can you imagine when that water was stirred, how bad he wanted to be the first person into that water so that he wouldn't have to carry his mat anymore? Would you imagine if they would have heard that the water was stirred? Because maybe let's go back to that. Um, that temple, this this where these pools were. Can you imagine if that water got got um got um stirred up? Can you imagine that the city would have heard all them people hollering and screaming and and and, and they would have said, "Who got healed today?" They'd have been looking for that, but they didn't hear none of that, so they didn't expect any of that happen. But if they would have asked the right questions and said, "Why are you carrying carrying your mat?" and and he would have said. You know, there was this man came and told me to pick up my mat. And I've been sitting at that, that waiting for that water to be stirred up for so long, hoping and praying that I could be restored. And he told me, do I want to be healed? Get up and pick my mat. And immediately I was able to pick up and carry my mat. Is that ordinary work? I think no. It's extraordinary work. And so we'll look at Jesus. Was he guilty or not guilty of breaking the Sabbath? But I just thought that was an interesting look at, at it. Um, and, and, and hopefully, as you think through that, we're coming from the lesser to the greater. When Jesus is coming and he's establishing things and he's telling the truth about things, he is doing extraordinary work and i'll just leave it with that send me some videos send me some texts or some comments i'll try to put it together with this the best way i can i appreciate y'all dear lord i just thank you for this time together i ask you this message um it was a little different for me um i tried to plan the best way i, I could but lord i just ask you that you would would just bless this video that you'd be with it with the guys if they listen to it tomorrow morning or first of next week or so. And Lord, I thank you for the book of John. I thank you for what your message is um, to it for us. And um, we just, we just need you. We ask you to continue to open our hearts. And as we get into the meat of the text um, this next, um, this next weekend and start working through um, so many powerful stories that you have in, and in, in you bring an understanding to your people. Lord, I just ask you to be with us and lead us in God. So we ask all this in Jesus name. All right, guys, I hope y'all have a great Sunday, Sunday morning and, um, look forward to seeing y'all next weekend.